Hello all, and welcome back to episode 27.5 of Geeks and Games. I'm Tiger, and sadly, I am not joined by Yoshimitsu. There is a long, complicated reasoning behind this. We had recorded an episode talking about the second half of console revisions and add-ons that we had talked about in the first part, then that got deleted through Zoom trying to update while it was trying to, the episode was trying to save to the USB. And then I encountered another problem when we tried to re-record the episode. It ended up getting saved to the USB, but then something fell on top of it. And it was a pretty big episode too, so we're going to have to redo that someday. I've got a better USB now at this point. Everything should be fine. But instead of Yoshimitsu, I have with me a special guest. He is a podcaster. And more importantly, he is also my own father, so I thought it would be good to have him on. So please welcome Nomadic Vagabond from Bruise Beards and Shipwrecks. What up, what up? Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. This is also an important milestone in the history of Geeks and Games, because this is the first time I've ever done a recording with somebody else in person. That's pretty dope. You hear that? Yeah, yeah. That was a high five between guests. And a fist bump. Uh. That wasn't as audible. <laughs> but... Before we get into our topic, I think it would be good to talk about some video game news items first. Alright, so first off, Dr. Mario World, an app version of Dr. Mario, is sadly going to no longer be available to play at all come November of this year. So now is a good time to get in all your plays while you still can. Um, there's this thing called the Polymega. It's a clone console similar to the Retron 5. The company who made it announced that it is going to ship September 12th. They had shipped out review units to YouTubers, and they were able to play those, but then when they planned to release them, it ended up getting delayed. What it essentially is, it's a disc-based clone system that can play Sega Saturn, PlayStation 1, Neo Geo CD, and TurboGrafx CD games, and also Sega CD games. The Sega Saturn is probably the most interesting part about that, since they're very difficult to emulate. So it would be a less expensive way to buy them. But there are also add-ons to let you play NES, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and TurboGrafx-16 games. I think that's a very cool device. You notice how the word Genesis has Ness in it? Oh, no it doesn't. It's Genesis. Oh, oh I see it now. Ah, <laughs> oh, good gosh. Um, Metroid celebrated its 35th anniversary on the 6th of this month. In the announcement on Twitter, people got mad because when describing what type of game Metroid was, they didn't call it a Metroidvania. It's a type of platformer which involves backtracking and exploration instead of basic go from point A to point B type platforming. And I think the reason behind this is because Konami owns the Castlevania license, which is the other half of the Metroidvania type of thing that may have been a reason or nintendo just didn't want to use that you know that's more like a fan term not an actual nintendo based term um geometry dash is going to celebrate its eighth anniversary in on the 13th of this month it may have already been the 13th by the time this came out and rayman legends is also going to celebrate its eighth anniversary on the 29th i know it's too soon but i wanted to make sure i got it in before i forgot and i also love the game that much um 
Sega, I think, announced that they're making a mobile game version in their popular series, Shining Force. If you haven't heard of it, that's okay. It was like an RPG type game, I think. I'm not 100% sure. Um, some amazing news regarding the Mario film. There's this comedian named Sebastian Maniscalco. He announced that he is playing the character of Foreman Spike. If you have no idea who that is, that is because he was in this NES game called Wrecking Crew. He was like an enemy to Mario. If you didn't play it on the NES, it's possible you played it in the arcades. And if you want to play it now, it's on the Switch Online Retro NES service. So, now that we've gotten through news, I think it would be a good time to interview our guest. How did you get into gaming, Nomadic? Um, it started when... I was young, and my older brother um, wanted a Nintendo for Christmas, so we got a Nintendo, and it came with uh, the Super Mario Brothers with the Duck Hunt. Cool. And so it had the one with the, the Duck Hunt gun, and uh, I mean, yeah, that's where it started right there. All right. Um, What systems do you own? Well, I currently really don't own any systems because... I bequeathed them to my son. Um, <laughs> yep, but he sold I, me his Nintendo sixty four for what was it five dollars or one dollar? It was five hundred dollars because you're making money, son. Right? You're making from the Patreon from this, right? I have not set that up yet because we don't have that big of an install oh, base. Okay, okay. Um, In the future, probably. But the systems I own are a Nintendo sixty four, a PlayStation two, and actually that's all I've got. <laughs> you did get like a Wii as a wedding gift, right? No, I got the PlayStation Two as a wedding gift. The Wii, oh, oh yeah, we own the Wii, which was a Christmas gift from um, your grandmother. All right. Um, what is your favorite game? Well, if it's tough to pick, you can just pick one. No, I, I, I'm gonna say one with a, a Tony Hawk, man. Which one? There are a lot of them. Oh, man. So I have to pick one of those yep. out of all the Tony Hawks? Or, I mean, you can pick between series. Right. Like, if you prefer the underground games to the first I mean, game. I think Tony Hawk 3 is pretty dope. Tony Hawk 3. I think that was, like, the highest rated game for the Game Boy Advance, if I remember correctly. Oh, for real? That's yep. dope. That's dope. It was a different game because of Game Boy Advance limitations, but I think it ended right, up working right. out really well regardless. All right. Um, what is your least favorite game, if any? My least favorite game? It's well, it's kind of just an oddball question okay. I like to throw out. My, okay, well, so here's what's hard. Okay, so my least favorite is, it's going to be, um, it's going to be in conjunction with my favorite, right? Yes. So, like, Tony Hawk was one of my favorites. Now, growing up. Uh, the first skateboard games, because I'm a skateboarder, right? I, I, I was always gravitated towards skateboard games. So for the Nintendo, you had Skate or Die, Skate or Die 2, and 720. Now, 720 was pretty dope. Skate or Die was okay. Skate or Die 2, I think, was a little better. Kind of like the Turtles games. The first one was kind of like, we waited all this time for this. But the, the second and third ones were like arcade, kind of like Double Dragon. Those ones were the bomb. And, I mean, you've seen how much those cost. I, I think a local arcade we have kind of has a version of that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, which we need to go play, by the way. Yes. Anyway, um, 
so my least favorite was probably like I was on PlayStation and it came out it like Thrasher magazine, which I can rock in the shirt right now. It's a dope mag. Um, they came out with a skate game and it was just kind of archaic and clunky. And then for sixty four, there was Goldeneye, which is one of my favorite games as well. But they came out Goldeneye two, which was whack. I mean, if it would have been the first one, been okay, but with it being the second one wasn't as good as the first. Yeah, and with the Nintendo 64, we only own three games for it. We own Super Mario 64, which is probably the best single-player experience you're going to get on the system, and then GoldenEye 007, which is probably the best multiplayer experience you're going to get on the system. And then there's the second GoldenEye game, and that wasn't even made by the people who made the first game. It was made by EA. So there's probably a lot of microtransactions. And what game was owned for the 64 that we no longer have oh yeah duke nukem 3d wasn't it oh yeah i got rid of that but what was the other one there's another one that oh yeah mario kart 64 i hold that over his head sometimes uh, to I'm be never dumb gonna live that down is i mean like a wedding gift maybe mm. <laughs> you know every single track except one from mario kart 64 has since appeared in retro tracks in later games and the one that wasn't added was wario stadium I think, and like the Rainbow Road song from that game is probably my favorite Mario Kart song. Dude, Rainbow Roads are some of my least favorite levels. I well, I mean the one in Mario Kart 64 is very, very long. Those are the ones where it's like dark kind of in the sky, right? Yeah, and then yeah. the track's just all rainbowy. Oh my gosh. All right, <laughs> let's see. Um, well, moving on to more uh, podcasty questions, um... Uh, what influenced you to start your, um, podcast? Well, technically you didn't start it. Jamie had started it, what, mm-hmm. four, three to four years earlier? Yeah. And then he took a very long hiatus and you came on. How did that happen? Well, um, we just met, um, you know, just via basically kind of online and stuff like that. Um, just a lot of similar interests. I've listened to his music for many years, so I was familiar with him. And then um, we just realized that we had a lot of similar interests as far as music, our faith, and things like that. And he wanted to know if I'd be down to come, you know, support him and what he's doing. I was like, yeah, I'm all about it. And so it's just been, you know, um, November will be a year, and it's just been a a fun ride. Yep. Um, Side note, Yoshimitsu is actually a really big fan of the the Christos on Esti, where it's like the... The Christ is Risen Orthodox hymn with, like, oh, drums in the some, background. Some beat, yeah. He really likes that one. Um, are there any projects you're working on currently that are related to either your podcast or anything else? Um, well, we just released a new episode um, with um, Soup the Chemist, who is a legendary um, MC, you know, uh, rapper, as people would say. Um kind of pioneer the whole quote-unquote you know gospel hip-hop genre but he's just a dope dude dope mc um so that's the latest thing um other than that i've got a couple songs out with a friend of mine you sire you could look up on you know all your streaming platforms buy it if you want please do <laughs> um and then there's we got a new song coming out um that's just being mixed um so yeah i mean that's the latest other than that i've just been working on music podcasts and hanging out with my son and um kind of related to your uh podcast i see you have a beer here it's 
it's kind of a tradition on your show, which is called Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks, to sort of ask what kind of beer you're drinking. Side note, I'm not sure if we're legally required to say this, but um, Geeks and Games does not condone either drinking while podcasting. I mean, some people prefer to do it this way because it helps them feel a bit more comfortable with the environment, but we do not condone drinking under the age of 21. Correct. Um, now, to keep it, you know, as far as how we do on our podcast, you know, my man Tiger here, he's been sipping this fine H2O, a 2020 vintage, 2021 vintage, I'm sorry, out of this fine mason jar. I mean, 12 ounces, by the way, keeping it hydrated for all the weather, right? Yep. If that's right. I'm actually, uh, what I'm drinking though, it's a, uh, it's called a uh, sack lunch, I think is what it's called. Um, by Mount Tabor Brewing, and it actually is what's really cool. It was brewed especially for the store I work at, which is New Seasons Market, and um, it actually has a lot of proceeds that go. It's yeah, sack lunch lager, and the proceeds go back to um, no kid left hungry. So they give money back to um, helping um, hungry children. So that's a, a good thing. Yeah. Also, side note, I think it's interesting how, like, I'm having you on mainly because you're my dad, and it was really easy to have you on as a guest, but I feel like our podcasts are so different in tone because you have all these, like, serious conversations about, like, faith and music, and we're just a small little games podcast that tries to either inform the masses or entertain them. Like, I mean, even in the podcast description, it says... I, I try to sound all serious at first as a joke where it's like, um, Geeks and Games is the podcast that seeks to inform today's youth. Just kidding. It's about two friends who enjoy games and love talking about them. It used to be three, but our man Plague Vamp has since taken a break from the internet due to personal stuff. A hiatus. Yes, a hiatus. Hopefully we'll have him back on in the future, but it was fun to have him on for those first three episodes. Well, I mean, you know, I think the the common thread besides just you being my son is, um, and, you know, podcasts, is there's also crossover with, say, like, music and video games, you know? Because, like, you think of the inception of video games, you would have, like, the video game music, right? I think um, one of Atari's product ideas, I don't know if they ever released it, but it was, like, an in concept before the 2600 release where it was going to be like video music like you'd listen to a song and on the screen of your tv there'd be like bars of color shooting out representing yeah, the song I, I we saw that video together that youtube video which one was who made that again i cannot remember but we'll look it up later but it was like this atari edition or something but um but so i mean but you know i i think for me like going back to tony hawk like there was a, a soundtrack for that video game. And that was, I think, one of the first soundtracks I can remember. I could be wrong. I mean, there might have been more, but an actual soundtrack to a video game. I mean, I know EA Sports, like the basketball joints, they had... Um, EA Sports. It's in the game. Man. Um, but I know they had soundtracks, which was actually pretty dope, too. But this one was actually like specifically songs from the game. Um, so it wasn't just video game music. Now is what's cool is now you have a lot of people taking those video game music and sampling it and flipping it or whatever and making beats. Like I sent you that, you know, Nintendo Thumb mixtape 
you yeah. know. I feel like the only thing I don't like about that is I, I like to listen through Amazon Music, and it seems the only tracks I can find of video game tracks are, like, um, remixes and not the original tracks. Thankfully, with Super Mario 3D All-Stars, you can listen to songs from Mario 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy on your Switch, and then you can turn it off and sort of let the music play. Oh, It'll be cool. fun background noise for, like, a like a video game-related party or something. Oh, yeah, totally. Or just, like, you're doing the dishes or going to sleep or i could like take um if there was ever like a podcast convention near where we live we could like take the switch with us plug it into speakers and that could be like background music right next to our booth or whatever that would be dope uh but anyway let's move on to our topic i'm going to be talking about some console revisions and add-ons i have decided to change up some of these because they took too long to get through in the first one so some things I was going to talk about, I have decided to omit because we either previously mentioned them before or we kind of want to save them for when we get to those consoles in the future. So I think last we left off, we talked about the Sega Genesis, and I wanted to talk about a console that we hadn't discussed um, in the last episode. I didn't find out until after we had done it, that there was a game console version, but there was this home computer called the Commodore 64, released in 1982, and there was, was like... a good year. <laughs> I'll edit that out, probably. Go ahead. All right. There was a game console version of that called the Commodore 64 Game System, which released in 1990, but I thought I'd talk about some other versions of the 64 as well, so... The original version released in 82, and then in 86 there was a slimmed-down model called the 64C, and then there was a floppy disk drive peripheral in 1982 called the Commodore 1541. And then in 1982, before the Commodore 64 itself released, they released, um, I mean they worked on a hardware version of it called the Commodore Max. I think it was sort of like a prototype. Um, and then in 1983, there was a thing called the Educator 64. It was a monitor and keyboard in one. This was before computers sort of... I mean, modern PCs don't really come with monitors either, but it was just a keyboard and a cartridge slot. And I was sort of confused as to why somebody would buy a computer, like, like if all it's good for is playing games, which is what a home console could already do. And then I realized, oh, yeah, they were, they were also, like, the, some of the first of their kind to have typing platforms. It was, like, typing things out and video games were what computers were good for until, like, the mid-90s when the internet started to become a real thing. And then um, th there was this thing called the SX-64. I don't know when it released. It was a the very first color portable computer ever released, and it had the floppy drive built in. Um, Commodore actually made some monitors that the 64 was compatible with. There was the 1701 and 1702, both 33 centimeters, and the 1902 and 1802 models. And there was going there was a canceled version that was going to be released called the Commodore 65. Um, moving on to the Sega Game Gear, released in 1990, there was this add-on for it called the Master Gear Converter, which let you play Master System games on your Game Gear. I find that very odd, because the Game Gear itself had a lot of ports and versions of Master System games, since they kind of ran the same way. Like, um, there were 
a few Mickey and Donald games released for the Master System, and those had ports on the Genesis. I mean, the Game Gear. But then there was also 8-bit versions of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I think the first one came out on the Game Gear. Maybe the second one, but I don't remember. And there was a version called the Game Gear Micro that had all built-in games, kind of like the Super Nintendo and NES Classic that um, the Game Gear Micro released in 2020. Moving on to another handheld that was um, kind of like the Game Gear, but um, when the Game Boy launched, there were three other versions. Well, not, yeah, When the Game Boy launched, there were three other competitors. There was the Game Gear, which probably sold the best outside the Game Boy, which just dominated the market. Sega. That's right. Okay. okay yeah. And then there was the Atari Lynx that could actually accommodate for both left and right-handed people because it had yes. two sets of A and B buttons on the top and bottom so you could flip it around. And as you could tell, Nomadic is actually left-handed. And in my right mind. <laughs> What's interesting is me and my sister are right-handed and my mom and dad are both left-handed. That's genetics, I guess. <laughs> Failed genetics. Remarkable what skips a generation. <laughs> True. But um, one of the other competitors besides the Game Gear and Atari Lynx was the NEC Turbo Express. So it's more popular in Japan. You probably haven't heard of it much over here, but NEC released this platform called the TurboGrafx-16. One of its most popular games, I think, was Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which you can get right now on the PlayStation Store, I think, with Symphony of the Night. If you have a PlayStation 4 or 5, but there was this um, portable version of it called the NEC Turbo Express, which released in 1990. It had a TV tuner accessory, as did the Game Gear, which could let you um, sort of stream local TV stations onto your portable device, which was amazing. But the main reasons the Game Boy was um, dominated the competition was A, its price point, B, its battery life, and... The other consoles had better graphics, but they ate away batteries, and the Sega Nomad was probably a very bad, um, one of the worst battery consumers at all. I think it was only two to three hours. If you don't know what the Sega Nomad is, it released in 96, and it allowed you to play Genesis games portably. I mean, I'd have to go with the Sega Nomad. I mean, come on. <laughs> I never, I didn't think about that. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, having a Walkman. You know, a tape player versus, like, the portable CD players. Or a Nintendo Switch, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the portable CD players ate up a bunch of batteries, especially if it had the skip protection on. Yeah, I even have one right yeah. here, and it also eats up batteries. Yeah. I use it whenever I want to listen to my CDs on the go. Yeah, man. Um, and the, the Turbo Express worked with Hue cards or Turbo Chips. If you lived in America, we talked about them on the... Last episode, they were like an alternative form of game. Moving on to the Atari Lynx, which we already talked about, released in 1990. There was this version released in 1991 called the Lynx 2, which had a better battery life and it looked a little chunkier. Um, moving on to SNK. If you uh, don't know who SNK is, they're most well known for their arcade games like Fatal Fury, their fighting games mainly. Um, they released this... Uh, arcade board called the MVS in 1990, but they also had a home console version called the AVS, also in 1990. What do those stand for? Um, multi... I think... multi-something video system and advanced video system. But the Neo Geo AVS, it was supposed to bring the arcade experience directly into your home, 
but it had a big disadvantage. So the console cost $600. That may seem like not too bad now. I mean, the PlayStation 5 has, is like 500 But um, uh, my father is cringing because of game prices. I mean, if you're caked up, yeah, I guess that's a good price. <laughs> or you could just stick with your old consoles because there are still games on older consoles that um, are worth checking out because when you get a new system even if it's not a new system there's still a whole variety of games out there but if you buy a new console like the day it comes out there really isn't much to play for it for a while because i mean there are a couple of launch games definitely but then you don't get anything for a while but i mean that's how it was when nintendo first came out like i mean as far as i remember like you just had mario and duck Hunt. i mean it's not like the games that launched with it nintendo made smart decisions actually like um the Nintendo 64 only launched with two games. One of them was Mario 64, mm -hmm. and that was kind of one reason why the Nintendo 64 took a little bit longer to come out than was expected. I can tell you what the other one was. What? Banjo-Kazooie. No, uh, it was Pilot Wings 64. Oh, well, the one I got came with Banjo-Kazooie. I mean, bundles had come out later. There was oh, one okay. with Donkey Kong 64, I think. Oh. Um... They have a Donkey Kong rap on it. <laughs> yep, that was the one. All right. <laughs> um, but the that Neo Geo AVS cost six hundred dollars, and its games cost two hundred to three hundred dollars each. So, in trying to put it in a smaller package to fit in with the home, it ended up costing way too much. Like at that point, you'd rather just play them at the arcade. Thankfully, if you want to experience them at lower price points, there is the Neo Geo Mini, which came out in 2018, which has a lot of these games bundled in, and SNK has also released a lot of these games for the Switch. Sounds like you'd have to be Bill Gates to play this thing, but if you're Bill Gates, you wouldn't play that thing, because you'd be playing what? Um, Microsoft. Which would be? The Xbox. There you go. Um... I mean, speaking of Bill Gates, I've heard a lot of this debate about, like, billionaires sending themselves into outer space doing relatively irresponsible things with their money. But Bill Gates, man, he's a, one of the best billionaires because he donates a lot of his money to charity and carbon emission reduction. Hmm. So I think he does very responsible things with his money. And plus, he gave us the Xbox 360, which I think is probably my favorite game console ever mainly due to like the user interface and the controller and also it's my go-to system to play the lego games on which i really enjoy we talked about that in our best game consoles episode though so do you think it's a pretty user-friendly console yes right. i'd say if you want to get a game console it's worth getting a 360 especially since they go for less than 100 on the second hand market i mean i'll have to be honest I have to make a confession to you. What? I don't think I've actually ever played... I think I've played Xbox once in my whole life. Well... We'll have to remedy that, huh? Oh, maybe. <laughs> but moving on from my father's grievous offense... <laughs> womp, womp. Um, the Super Nintendo. So we talked about a lot of these console versions on previous episodes, but there is an add-on I'd like to talk about. It was unlicensed, but it was called the Super 8, and it released in 1995. It allowed you to play NES Famicom and Super Famicom games on your Super Nintendo. So, I mean, it's unlicensed, probably illegal, but, I mean, it's fun. I think it's an interesting device. I'm moving on to something a little more obscure, but some of you may probably have heard of it. The Philips CDI, which 
The original model released in 1991, it was made for DVD play, music, and educational software. So the CDI is probably most well known for creating games with Nintendo licensed characters in them. These games were called Hotel Mario, and then there were three Zelda games. There was Link the Faces of Evil, Zelda the Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure. Hold up a sec. Yes. So you're telling me that Philips made something that in 1991 that played DVDs? Yes. Wow. I think the DVD came in later models. Yeah. Like the. Uh, I mean, back then it was uh, laser discs, which are record size. So for those who don't know, a record is a thing <laughs> that you listen to music on that is, you know, twice the size of a frisbee. <laughs> And a laser disc is basically like a DVD, just that size. They're real. They're really odd looking at them because there's this music store I went to, and they had laser discs, and I'm like, "Whoa, it's like the, um, it's like a DVD on steroids." <laughs> but the, the the Philips CDI, those those bad games were the source of uh, infamy due to these things called YouTube poops. They're like fast paced. Um, humor that um it's kind of inappropriate like they're uh it's the kind of humor that um like say a teenage boy would enjoy or a boy of any age i suppose although i'm sure there are um girls that would enjoy this type of content as well but the cdi had a lot of revision so first off there was the 100 series which was the original model um it was mainly a professional system meaning it wasn't available on the retail market the 200 series, it was the first public release model. Then there was the 300 series. They were portable versions for the professional market. In case you're wondering why I'm listing these as series, they have three or four like different versions, and I don't want to list all of them due to time. Is there a place they could go to find that list? Um, yeah, uh, I'll, I don't do the best research with my... Um, <laughs> my podcast. I mean, I try to do as well as I can, but there's a lot of stuff I choose to leave out either for time constraints or it doesn't really interest me. But if you're interested in learning more about these consoles or systems, though, I mean, the Wikipedia page is pretty informative. Just don't cite it for a school report or else they'll get mad at you. And then there was, um, with the CDI moving on, there was the 400 series. These were more slimmed down and more aimed at playing games. Then there was the 500 series. They had a pre-installed digital video cartridge on them. I'm not sure what they did. Then there was the 600. It was flop designed for peripherals that utilized floppy disks and uh, computer-related things. Yeah, have you ever seen a floppy disk? I think I have. Uh, for the N Nintendo Entertainment System, we talked about this last episode, but there was this add-on called the Famicom Disk System, which used floppy disks. There was actually a similar add-on that came out beforehand that used cassette tapes to record data Dope. for games. I, I know it astonishes me that you could even store, like, a, um, digital information on there. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, well, but here's the thing. I mean, it's magnetic, and so when you look at, like, the floppy disks or the later ones that were considered floppy disks, they were just disks, right? That's where you get the term disk drive from is either a CD or these disks. They were like three and a half inch is what they would call them. But they were harder than a floppy disk and smaller. But it would have like a little film that looked like a, a cassette tape and it, would, it was magnetic too. 
but floppy disks were like I don't know bigger than a like the you know CD inlay the you know the cover is bigger than that but it was is literally floppy like you could fan someone off in hot weather with it <laughs> except you wouldn't want to do that on a hot day cuz it would probably melt true after all like i think the tape that um comes on floppy disks and tapes is made out of oil and when exposed to heat it could melt easily yeah i mean that's just like some cassette tapes and records vinyl but it is pretty cool, um, melting records that you don't really need to try to make cool designs with them. Because didn't you make, like, little bookends with them once? No, it was a gift. Ah. And the the last uh, Philips CDI model released was the 700 series, and it only had one model. I think it was the 705. There are many other licensed model versions I don't want to get into. And there was actually this, uh, disc you could put in, and it allowed you to access this thing called CDI Online, or CD Online. And it was like a um, an online service that allowed you to access the internet. I think came out in '95. But uh, the Philips CDI was it was kind of ambitious, but because it was ambitious, it was also expensive, and many people found it like clunky and kind of useless because they could just play games on other systems. So yeah, it didn't win any points. But I feel like the only benefit it has is um. How hilariously bad those Nintendo licensed games I talked about are. Um, moving on, we have the Atari Jaguar, which released in 1993, Atari's last home console and the first 64-bit console ever released. There was this add-on called the Jaguar CD in 1995. So the Jaguar CD could play um, CD-based games, as the name implies, and... There was going to be a proposed version called the Jaguar Duo, which was the CD and original model in one, but that was canceled. And there was another canceled 3D headset. Uh, speaking of 3D headsets, Nintendo has been doing, well, trying to do successful 3D for a very long time. They implemented it with the Famicom uh, 3D system, which could plug into the disc system, I think. And then there was... Uh, the Virtual Boy, really bad um, performing system, and also not Is that, that what it was called. The <laughs> that would have been a tagline. The Virtual Boy, a really bad performing system, from the boys at Nintendo. But it only displayed things in red and black. It came out way before the technology was ready, and most of the games didn't even implement 3D that well. The, the GameCube actually had some 3D implementation, I think, but they didn't truly get it right until the Nintendo 3DS, hmm. which allowed glasses three, I mean, glasses-free stereoscopic 3D. The, um, the next console we're going to talk about is the Panasonic 3DO. It wasn't just released by Panasonic, it was developed by the 3DO company, it kind of like the Philips CDI, it was a disc-based system that didn't sell very well, and a lot of... Disc as in, like, not floppy disc? I believe so. Okay. But the the big <laughs> the big problem with it was a lot of the games weren't that good. It was like um, FMV-based, which were full-motion video. Like, the big gimmicks was that it was a relatively normal game with relatively good um, cutscenes that played... Some of the more infamous games for these came out on the Sega CD. Night Trap was one of them. And because of its gore, relatively gory scenes, it was um, one of the reasons, alongside Mortal Kombat, that the video game rating system was 
involved. And if you're more interested in this, Netflix has this great uh, TV show called High Score that I recommend checking out. But um, the original 3DO model was called the Panasonic FZ1 Real 3DO Multiplayer in 1993, distributed by Panasonic. And the other Panasonic model, only released in Japan, was the FZ10 Real 3DO Multiplayer in 94. So, the, these names seem like they kind of tried to throw random numbers and letters to get words and letters and numbers together to try to make it sound high-tech, but it just sounds so random. Like, this next one is the Panasonic N1005 3DO CD Changer Robo. It had a five-disc drive, and it was only released in Japan. I'm like, try going to the store to ask for that. <laughs> I think there's actually this meme I saw where it's like, um... This guy at a restaurant is saying, hello, I would like the fruit pancakes. And the waiter says, sir, we do not have an item on the menu by that name. And then the guy says, listen, there is no way in heck I'm going to say the real tutti fruity tutti pancakes. <laughs> and then there was the um, uh, the two other companies that distributed the 3DO besides Panasonic were Sanyo and Goldstar. The first of the Sanyo models was the Sanyo IMP21J Tri 3DO Interactive Multiplayer only in Japan in 1995. Oh, and I lied. This was the only Sanyo model. Then there was the Gold Star GDO 101, a live 3D multiplayer, only in South Korea as well. There was a North American version released later called the GDO 101M, a live 3DO interactive multiplayer. So has Gold Star done anything else? No. I mean, Sanyo, I mean, they've done other electronic things like, you know, radios, tape players, etc. But... Actually, one interesting thing is, like, Philips. Mm -hmm. um, I found out that when we got our electric toothbrushes, yeah. that they were made by Philips. And I'm like, is that the same Philips? Yeah, Philips um, isn't... I mean, for a while, they were kind of, like, the thing. But after a while, anytime I would get some Philips, I'm like, Philips kind of... I mean, kind of sucks. Sorry, Philips people, but I'm like, anything I'd have from Philips kind of just crap out easily so gold star was a south korean electronics company the corporate name was changed to lg oh see that's him and there was a lot of lg products out yeah there. like i mean i think we owned an lg washing machine didn't we yeah yeah so thankfully they ended up doing better than the um, the next one was the gold star gdo 203p 3do alive 2 only in South Korea, and was very rare. I don't know when that one released. And then there was the Creative 3DO Blaster. It was an expansion card allowing for Windows um, computer games to be played on the 3DO. Which is interesting because I think the Sega Dreamcast has like similar functionality to play some Windows games on the Dreamcast. I think the original Xbox, there, was, there were plans in the works, actually, to play Dreamcast games on there, but those eventually fell through. Man, I remember when Dreamcast came out, that that was next level for me because it had, like, a screen on the controller. Yeah, I think it allowed for, um, like, little emblems. Mm -hmm. It was called a VMU, Visual Memory Unit, and, mm -hmm. it, and it could even allow you to play little mini-games in some cases. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you could almost say it was a precursor to the Switch. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But, uh... Not as dope, though. Actually, the PlayStation 1 had this LCD screen attachment in a revision called the PS1 ONE, 
came out in 2000 after the original PlayStation 1 did in 1994. Smoothest transition ever. <laughs> um, there was this uh, add-on called the Dex Drive in 1997, which allowed PCs to access the data on your memory card. There was a version for the Nintendo 64 as well. Hmm. Um, the There was this thing called the Pocket Station, which was a version of like the Dreamcast VMUs, but for the PlayStation instead. And then they also released their own classic version, like the Neo Geo, with the PlayStation Classic in 2018. But that wasn't regarded as well because the game fan base was a little bit wider. Nintendo's games, like everybody um, who played Nintendo frequently, um, it's like, oh, we love the the Mario, the Star Fox, the Metroid, the those games like that. With PlayStation, it's a little more varied, so you were probably like either... Um, there was, like, Rayman, Castlevania, Final Fantasy, racing games. Like, there were all kinds of games, and that ended up working for them in the game-buying market, but when you're trying to put a selection of games onto one device, people aren't going to be happy because odds are there are going to be some games you missed out on. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what was kind of dope. Like, when you had Nintendo came out, they had, like, Mario Brothers. That was like their thing. Sega came out, and it was Sonic. So when PlayStation came out, there wasn't, like, something that was, as far as I know... I think the closest would probably be Crash Bandicoot. Uh, yeah, that could be. I, he, he, was, he was their mascot for a while, then he kind of faded out, and then he's recently had a resurgence yeah. of popularity. But now, I mean, you've got Sonic and Mario going either platforms. Eating platforms? Either platforms. Ah! Um... They do that, too, I guess. <laughs> Put a rings into coins, man. <laughs> I do wish that the Mar the Mario and Sonic games that they came out mm -hmm. it would be cool if it was something a bit more epic and crossovery. But yeah. it was um yeah. instead a mini game collection themed around the Olympics. Yeah, it would have been dope if it would have been like having Sonic going through the Mario levels. Yeah, and vice versa. I, th I think know? there was like something kind of like that. There was like this famous bootleg game called Samari. That it was like a port of the. 8-bit version of Sonic the Hedgehog for the uh, Famicom. Yeah, yeah. Um, our next console is the Neo Geo CD, which we talked about. The Polymega can play those games. It came out in 1994, and the most popular version of it was a top-loading CD player. Then there was this Japan-only front-loading version and a um, another Japan-only version that was also top-loading called the CDZ in 1995, and that also had faster load times. Next, we have, um, I feel like a lot of people know the Dreamcast and Genesis, but a console that's kind of forgotten is the Sega Saturn, which came in between those. came out in 1994. It, it was kind of left in the dust behind the PlayStation. Cause the I was PlayStation say, that was a precursor to the PlayStation. Because it was CD-based, right? Um, I think th they came out the same year. So, yeah, so, it was, uh, so maybe not precursor, but like um, competitor. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, it's like the PlayStation became, like, the surprise runaway hit. I mean, before companies make game consoles, usually they're famous in something else, so they kind of have an install base before they get into gaming. Right, right. Like, Nintendo was founded in 1889 because they made playing cards for a long time. And then they, they... to do the electricity to get those going. They had to get on, like, a, a little, like, a, a horse on a little treadmill. No. Actually, their first electronic accessory was called the Nintendo Beam Gun. It was, like, made for, like, a game you could play on a projector, I think, mm -hmm. that you could 
use it was like a light gun it was for nintendo's first electronic accessory right. and they made the game and watch systems in the early 80s and then they made the nes and the rest is history then well yeah but nintendo started out making card games right true right right they also had a, a failed taxi and hotel service oh wow and then um but the other companies like microsoft and making e- electronics and computers for a long time sony had been making electronics also for a long time i don't know what sega did i think they worked with they got popular through their arcade games and then they started making consoles um but the with the sega saturn there was this add-on called the netlink it was a modem that plugs into the back of the saturn released in 1996 there was this canceled version called the sega pluto that had a built in modem and also came with a keyboard and mouse. So do they actually recognize the Sega Pluto? Um, I don't think oh because <laughs> Pluto's not recognized as a planet. Uh there's actually this meme I saw where it's like um world record winner for the um four year Olympics universe size and it's like the Earth wins every single it's like it's the only one with an actual bar right. and Pluto's just says disqualified. <laughs> I thought that was such a dumb meme. But That's it was pretty amazing. funny. I like that. That was good. It's good stuff. Um, moving on to the Nintendo 64, released in 1996. We've already talked about um a lot of the add-ons, but they actually did have a real quick. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if they did? Because like, there's the Commodore 64. If they would have come out with some sort of anniversary colorway or something of the Nintendo 64 with, like, the Commodore 64 colorway. That would be interesting, but I think the 64s refer to different things. Uh, I want to say that it's called 64 because it has, like, 64 kilobytes of internal memory, but even then, I don't want to say that because most home computers at the time either had 4 or 8 kilobytes of internal memory. Because the Nintendo was... The N64 was 64 bits. Yes. Because, like, n- regular Nintendo was 8-bit. Correct. Then Super, Super Nin- was 16-bit. But, I mean, later games had this thing called the Super FX chip, which could play 32-bit yeah, right. games. The and, ver- th- and that's what Sega, because they came out and they had 32-bits. Yes. Genesis um, was still 16, right? Genesis was still 16, right. but they had this add-on called the 32X that yeah. could play 32-bit games. Yeah, got you. Um, but the Nintendo 64 had this unlicensed accessory called the Game Shark that allowed you to access cheat codes. I had that. My uncle owns one of them. I tried to use it, but it didn't work. Well, you have another uncle who has one, too. I do? Yeah. Cool. We'll have to talk to him about that sometimes. Um, then there is the, uh, the IQ player. Um, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but it was during the Chinese video game ban. They didn't allow video game consoles to be in China. So Nintendo found a way around this by making a controller that plugs into a computer that has a bunch of games built in. So it was mainly a way for you to play Nintendo 64 games, but it came out after the 64 had, so it was like China was like a game generation behind the rest of the world. Hmm. I mean, I guess they're not doing any better now due to the Great Firewall and whatnot. So you could make, so they could be made in China, just not played in China. Yeah, kind of sad, but I suppose so. I mean, at least there's still a version of um, Minecraft you can play in China. So, I mean, at least they still have that. 
Um, moving on, we have the Neo Geo Pocket in 1998. So I think this did a little better than the AVS did. The, after the po Neo Geo Pocket, there was this version called the Neo Geo Pocket Color, which came out in 1999. Technically, it's a different game generation, but it only came out a year after, and it was more of a revision than an actual version, even though it did have exclusive games. Although maybe I shouldn't be saying it that way since the Game Boy Color... Nintendo themselves kind of group it alongside the Game Boys, like, the same system, but they're different systems since they have different games made for them. I still kind of want to group them together due to how close they released. Because hmm. the original Game Boy came out in 89, and the Game Boy Color came out in 98. And then there was this other version called the new Neo Geo Pocket Color in 1999. It was a bit smaller and had better sound. Moving on to the Game Boy Color, which you just mentioned... There was this thing called the Mobile Adapter GB release for it, which connected to mobile phones. I don't know if it allowed you to play the games on them, or like it had functionality with other games, but it sounds interesting. And then there was this revision called the Boombox Boy in 2000. It added a radio to the Game Boy Color to allow you to play um, radio beats through there. Um, the Sega Dreamcast, which we just, just talked about, came out in 1998. And it had a um, revision that had, like, a TV built in. It was called the Divers 2000 CX-1. It's very odd-looking. I don't know what it was intended for. But it looks like, um... I don't know how to describe it. Like, it looks like Mega Man's head or something. Well, or, like, a circa late 90s, early 2000s CD player. Yes, we'll have to post a picture of it on the Discord server. Yeah, that's bugged out. Looking. Yeah, it's or or like uh, those old, uh, you know, deep sea diver helmets you see. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Didn't notice that. Uh, moving on to the PlayStation Two, which released in um, two thousand. Yeah, yeah. There was a slim model released in two thousand and four. But then there was a second slim model, which came out in 2007. It had the power supply inside the console without needing external power, but I think you still needed to plug it in to be able to play the games. Then there so was, was this... called the extra slim? I... Th so you had to plug it into the wall? I think so, yeah. The, um, I heard about this through this book called The Game Console. I think it was written by Evan Amos. Hmm. It's a really good book. I highly recommend checking it out if you're also more interested in learning more about the, the console revision specifically. But yeah, it kind of taught me what the second Slim model was. I don't think they, he did the best job explaining exactly how it worked, but that's kind of the best I could say to figure it out. But um, the PlayStation 3 also had a second sim slim revision, and they called it the Super Slim, although I don't think it had a similar naming version with the PlayStation 2. There was this add-on called the iToy, which had specific games for it. It's kind of like the Kinect for the Xbox 360, but on the PlayStation 2, because it uses a camera to sort of read your movements, and you can play some games that way. Ah, uh, word, word. And then there was this um, keyboard and mouse accessory for the PlayStation 2, because... um. I think Linux released a disc of their operating system for the PlayStation 2. I forgot to mention the Bandai Wonderswan, which came out in 1999. You've probably heard of Bandai. They merged with Namco, who made Pac-Man into, into Bandai Namco. I think they made arcade games for a while before the merge. I remember Namco. But um, the Wonderswan was much more popular in Japan than it was over here. 
But um, the Wonderswan released in 1999, and then there was a color revision called the Wonderswan Color in 2000, and another revision called the Swan Crystal, which was a um, another version of the color in 2002. And then there was this accessory called the Wonderwave. It uh, allowed data transfer between two consoles. So while it's oft forgotten, I definitely think it's an interesting little um, note in the history of game consoles. Moving on to the Game Boy Advance, we've talked about the Game Boy Advance SP and the SP-101 before, I think. The original Advance came out in 01, the SP in 03, and the SP-101 had a stronger backlight in 05. Then there was this revision called the Game Boy Micro, which also came out in 05. It could only play Game Boy Advance games that didn't have the backwards compatibility with the original and the color that the previous versions of the Game Boy Advance had. But what about the SP twelve, SP twelve hundred? I don't think they made one of those. SP two hundred two. No. SP three hundred three. No. Those were actually all uh, from well, the SP twelve and SP twelve hundred was from a company um, Emu EMU, and it was a uh, early early sample machine. So a lot of your early early hip hop records in the early nineties were made on that. Then the 202-303, you know, samplers, drum machines from Boss, Roland Company. So, just messing around. But at the same time, who knows if there's some Boss, Roland overlap in the game world. We'll see. Maybe. But the the Game Boy Micro is also kind of small, and it didn't make... micro. Yeah, exactly. It didn't make much sense to have one since around the time it released... The DS had come out, and it had the ability to play Game Boy Advance games anyway. I mean, there are fans of this system for sure, but it's kind of... What was the difference between the two? The DS and the Game Boy Micro? Yes. The DS could play its own different set of games as well. You know, like it had... um, Because it was a new system, so it could play all these new games, but it also had Game Boy Advance backwards compatibility, but not Game Boy and Game Boy Color, just like the Micro. All right. And then there was this thing called the Play-In, which came out in 2005. I think only in Japan. It let, you, it let you play music files through an SD card, which I think is a fun thing. High tech, man. Um, moving on to the GameCube, there were these modem and broadband adapters released for it, mainly for use with the Fantasy Star Online, which came out in 2002. Forgot to mention the GameCube itself came out in 2001. Um, then there was this SD card adapter, which allowed you to access some files on the GameCube, just like with the Play-In we talked about. So, it was mainly for use with the Animal Forest E+. So, it was a Japan-only version of Animal Crossing that was like an improved version of it. Then there was the Panasonic Q. It was a version of the GameCube that could play DVDs. Because a big complaint for people that owned a GameCube was that it couldn't play DVDs on like the PlayStation 2 or the Xbox. Yeah. I mean, the original Xbox, it needed an adapter that you plugged into a controller port, but still. I mean, yo, shouts out to Panasonic, man. They made the 3DO. They can do no wrong. <laughs> 3DO. Oh, oh. I feel like something the 3DO is most famous for that I forgot to mention it. It had this game called Gex, which is a long-running joke in this YouTube channel I've mentioned on the show before called Scott the Waz. Um, and then there was this third-party LCD screen, kind of like the PlayStation 1 LCD screen I mentioned, mm-hmm. that was made by Mad Cats, I think. A couple other companies also threw their hat in the ring. 
Now we're moving on to the DS, which came out in 2004. Then there was this version called the Light. What does DS stand for? Dual screen. Oh. But it also uh, stands for developer's system, they said. what? So it has All two right. acronyms. Um, there was this version called the DS Lite, which came out in 06. The DSi, which came out in 09. It got rid of the Game Boy Advance backwards compatibility of the last system, oh. but it also had an online shop and a camera built in. Then there was the DS... So trade-off. Yeah. Then there was the DSi XL, which came out in also 09. But there Is were a, a lot of... version? What? Is it a bigger version? Yes, as you'd expect. Um, there were a lot of accessories released for this because the Game Boy Advance slot was for use with um, a lot of accessories. There was the Rumble Pack, which came out in 2005. This wireless headset in 06. Did they add a Rumble Pack for um, the 64. 64? Yeah, I didn't mention that because I had already talked about it on previous episodes. All right, word. But then there was the Pokey Walker, which came out in 2009. It was a pedometer. It allowed you to... Um, Sorry, you say Pokey Walker, and I just think of, like, elderly Pokemon in a walker. <laughs> that's that's, that's the slowest Pokemon never, go ever, right? I never got that. <laughs> I never got, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty funny. But uh, the Pokey Walker is like a pedometer. It was sort of to make kids go outside, and if they walk around long enough, they collect Pokemon. It turned... Huh. I wonder what that sounds like now. Pokemon Go. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it um, it ended up being a very accurate pedometer in the world of pedometers. No worries. And they actually made a version for the Wii U as well. That's dope. Um, there was this keyboard for the DS. It was just a Bluetooth keyboard, but it's still pretty cool since it was made for the DS. Keyboard but, like piano keyboard or like no? It was a computer, a computer keyboard. Computer yeah. Right. Came bundled with Learn with Pokemon Typing Adventure in 2011. There was this thing called the paddle controller. So if you don't know what a paddle controller is, it's kind of like these um, like twisty knobs that are on like pieces of computer equipment. Some games like Breakout in the arcade had used them. But uh, Taito released this game called Arkanoid DS, and it, this is what it was used for. Most of these accessories that aren't wireless usually plugged into the Game Boy Advance slot, so they didn't work with the DSi. Um, then there was the Guitar Grip for Guitar Hero, also plugged into the Game Boy Advance slot for, um, I want to say Guitar Hero World Tour or something. So it was like, you know how the Guitar Hero guitars have these colored buttons on them? So it sort of made the, gu the Guitar Hero colored buttons onto like a, a grip that your hand could go over while you held it. There was a similar thing called the drum pad. It was like a silicone sleeve you could put over the DS for use with the game Band Hero. There was a memory expansion pack for the DS browser. Band Hero? Yeah, Band Hero, just like Guitar Hero, but... Well, there's Rock Band and then Guitar Hero. I, I, I don't think it's the epic crossover you're thinking of. Right. Sadly, um... The, those guitar type of games have kind of faded away. Right. But um, I think there's this game called Rocksmith or something that's made, being made by Square Enix. I talked about it in the E3. Well, there was one called DJ Hero. Ah, yes, that was another one. Um, There was this thing called the Memory Expansion Pack. came out in 2006 for the use with the DS browser. It can be used with the original DS, though there's a DS version. Or maybe it's an adapter. I can't remember. I did a lot of this research a while ago because I didn't plan for it to take um, two re-recordings for it to get out there. 
There is this thing called the Facening Scan Camera, which plugged into the DS port for use with this game called a Face Training DS. It's mainly like, um, in Japan, facial structure is like a big sign of beauty, so it's sort of like a way to train your face to sort of get um, either a better smile or to train your face muscles. But um, it that version only released in Japan, but then there was a DSi version, because the DSi had a camera built in, that didn't need the Game Boy Advance slot. So I think it's pretty cool that there was a different version as well for a completely different system, but it's like the same game. There was this magnetic stand for it that you could put on your fridge, mainly for use with this game called Personal Trainer Cooking. So it, it was like a guidebook to cooking, and so you could just put it on your refrigerator while you work in the kitchen, and then all the information is just right there. Dope. And the last accessory, this is probably the one with the most accessories out of all of them. It Believe me, there's not a lot for the rest of the consoles we're talking about, thankfully. Um, there was this thing called the Slide Controller, which came out in 2006 for this game called Slide Adventure Mag Kid. It sort of turned your DS into a mouse, so you could, like, slide your DS around on a surface with the Slide Controller. And then it would, uh, sort of move uh, the character in the game around in a similar way to the way a mouse would. I, th I think it's pretty cool. That seems pretty archaic. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I mean, maybe yeah, it's not. like yeah, sliding it around on a flat surface. Yeah. Huh. Um, something. Because the DS is smaller than the Switch, so <laughs> that's true. And they both have Mario sixty four available to play portably. Yeah, so they have that advantage. Um, to compete with Nintendo, Sony released their own uh, portable device called the PSP or PlayStation Portable in two thousand four. The original version was called the one thousand model. Then there was this version in 07 called the 2000 with twice as much memory, and then the PSP 3000 in 08 with an enhanced LCD display. Then there was a PlayStation Portable Go in 2009, which was all digital. And then this version called the PSP Street, also known as the E1000 in 2011. It wasn't released in the US, and it didn't have Wi-Fi enabled. There was this thing called the PlayStation Portable Camera in 2006. It doesn't work with the PSP Go, but there is a Japan-only adapter. Moving on to the 360, the original version came out in 2005. It looks kind of clunky looking, like it looks like a cross between um, a high-tech computer and a suitcase. Because there's this like weird handle on the top. Um, it was prone to a lot of problems. There was this infamous issue called the Red Ring of Death. Kind of similar to the Windows Blue Screen of Death. The Red Ring of Death. And the, those controllers for those that original batch, you could rotate the D-pad, kind of like how on your PlayStation 2, there, with the little PlayStation 2 logo on the front of the disk drive, you can rotate that depending on how you're placing it. If you have a PlayStation 2, you can do that right now if you want. That's right. I remember you showed me that. That was a mind blower. Yeah, that's probably the only good thing TikTok ever did, because on YouTube they have these things called YouTube Shorts, where they're sort of porting TikTok videos to YouTube. Right, right. And... I mean, there, TikTok has a couple of other good things. Like, it's how I learned about this. Um, There's this guy named Daniel LaBelle that does very funny videos where it's like um, how different ages react to getting their picture taken or how no, different ages worry, like to worry. step on a bug. His videos are really good. I recommend them. Um, But there was this version of the 360 called the 360 Elite. It was mainly like a repainted version of the original model. It had a 120 gig hard drive and a matte black finish. And then in 2010, now this is the version I own, it was called the 360S, 
um, it was a there was a four gigabyte model and a two fifty gig model, and the two fifty gig model had um a matte black finish. So I actually got this from my dear old dad and mom, of course. And so my godbrother actually owned an Xbox 360, and I was like, after I played that, I really wanted one, and he sold it to them. So I'm and I'm glad uh I'm glad they did because, like I said, that console is one of my favorites. Then there was this version called the 360E, which came out in 2013. It looks more like an Xbox One than a 360. And it's not that good version compared to the other ones, or so I've heard. We've already talked about the Kinect before. It works similar to the aforementioned PlayStation 2 iToy. Okay, but you say Kinect before, but what about Kinect 4? Oh, that's a completely different thing. Actually, I think I went to a yard sale and there was like a giant Connect 4 outlet. Nice. That would be fun. Yeah. There was a, some HD DVD drive add-on released in 06. So bef between DVDs... We know that's obsolete. <laughs> yeah. Between DVD and Blu-ray, there was like this HD DVD format that was... um. It went into obscurity really quickly because Blu-ray sort of just took over. Yeah, it was the HD and then Blu-ray. So there were red the cases were red yeah blue is blue so more of a like, brownish red yeah yeah but it was the same era so it was kind of like blu-ray just took over and now there's 4k ultra hd yeah or whatever yeah, yeah. and then like violet or whatever yeah yep um there was this thing called the messenger kit which came out in 2007 it came with a keyboard that you can attach your controller it's a very tiny and also a wireless headset Moving on to the PlayStation 3, the original version came out in 2006, had a lot of ports for like USB and uh, SD cards on the front. It had backwards compatibility with both the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2, and it could work with Blu-ray. It had this controller called the 6-axis. It was replaced with the DualShock 3, and the DualShock 3 had haptic feedback. But of course, it cost a lot and was prone to issues, so they made this version called the PlayStation 3 Slim in 09, got rid of the PlayStation 2 backwards compatibility, but it still had PlayStation 1. My uncle actually owns both of these revisions. He keeps one in his bedroom to watch movies up there and sometimes play games, and he keeps the original, and, they keep, and he keeps the slim version downstairs with the rest of his gaming display. But then there was the this thing called PlayStation Move, which came out in 2009, kind of similar to the way the Wii's motion controls worked. It was like a cross between the Wii and the 360, because it had like this remote-shaped controller with a bulb on the front that a camera could detect and use. And then uh, it uh, used this thing called the PlayStation 3 iWebcam, which came out two years previously, to track your movements. Then there was another revision called the Super Slim in 2012, which had like this this disc tray. You open a cover, then you put a disc in, and then you slide it back over. Mm -hmm. um, from what I've heard, I haven't experienced this personally, but I've heard it's kind of cheap feeling compared to the other versions. Mm. Kind of like with the 360, there was a wireless keypad. I don't know if it plugged directly into the controller, but it, it was a key, keyboard that worked with it. Then there was this thing called Play TV, which released in 2007. It allowed TV shows that you'd record with DVRing or whatever to be saved to your PlayStation 3 hard drive, and you could even play them on your PlayStation Portable through Remote Play. Um, the Wii, we've talked about the Wii a couple episodes ago, and I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, the, the original came out in 06. There was this version without GameCube backwards compatibility called the Family Edition, or RVL 101 in 2011. Backwards compatible one. 
<laughs> yep, and I'll, let's brag some. Yeah. And then there was this version called the Wii Mini, which came out in 2012. Didn't have the Wii internet on. Of course, the inter- the Wii doesn't even have internet at all anymore across any of the versions, sadly. But um, I don't want... I don't want to talk any more about the Wii since we've already talked about it at length and it had uh, probably even more accessories than the DS did. Moving on to the Vita, which came out in 2011, there was this version called the Vita Slim, which had an LCD screen, which released in 2013, and this thing called PlayStation TV, which allowed you to access your Vita games on PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4. The 3DS also came out in 2011, but I don't want to talk about all these models and additions because we're going to be talking about that in a couple episodes anyway. But for the PlayStation 4, it came out in 2013. There was this version called the PS4 Slim in 2017 and PlayStation 4 Pro in 2016. So the PlayStation 4 looks like two layers stacked on top of each other, but the PlayStation 4 like adds a third layer to make it more high-tech. Then there was PlayStation Move was also released for the PlayStation 4 in 2013, kind of like how the Kinect came out for the Xbox One. Right, right. When it initially launched, the Xbox One was met with criticism because the Kinect was required, and it also required internet to play anything oh, wow. on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was this add-on called the uh, PlayStation VR came out in 2016. There's a way using a PlayStation 4 Switch and PlayStation VR to play... Um, VR Switch games through PlayStation VR, but I can't remember how. It's kind of complicated. I think this YouTuber Nintendo made a video on it. Um, the Xbox One also came out in 2013. There was a version called the Xbox One X in 2017 and called the one called the One S in 2016. The One S was 40% smaller and had 4K support, and there was an all-digital version of it without a disk drive in 2019. Hmm. Then there was the Xbox Series X slash Series X in 2020. It's technically a different console, but I feel like it's kind of similar to the Xbox One, so I might as well mention it here. Right, right. Then there's the Nintendo Switch, which came out in 2017. There was this version called the Switch Lite, which came out in 2019, which was an all-portable version of the Switch. And this new version, which just got announced pretty recently, called the Switch OLED, which um has a bigger screen and a better um dock. Well, not a dock, but like a kickstand. Right, right. And I, I think it's pretty interesting, but I'm not going to get it since I own a regular Switch. Um, I talked about Nintendo Labo, a uh, Nintendo VR system. So there was this thing called Labo VR, which came out in 2019. It was like a VR headset for the Switch. Some games had this type of functionality, but um, they were based off Labo, which came out before, which were like little cardboard models for the Switch. You could put the Joy Cons in. Lastly, we have the PlayStation 5 came out in 2020, and I'm saying that because it had one with a disc drive and one that was all digital, which came out both in 2020. And before we go, I wanted to talk about our years in gaming. Yoshimitsu normally does these, but because we're without him, I'm I'm very sorry if you're listening, but I'm going to do 2008 without you since we've already done this twice. Sorry. <laughs> so first off, January 8th, we have Sonic Rider Zero Gravity. January 21st, Advance Wars Days of Ruin, but didn't release in the U.S. until February 21st. Last Advance Wars game to release until the one that's coming to the Switch later this year. January 31st, Super Smash Bros. Brawl didn't release in the U.S. until March 9th, and Devil May Cry 4 released the same day, also not in the U.S. until February 5th. March 25th, Dr. Mario Online RX for the Wii came out, but also not into the States until March 26th. April 10th, Mario Kart Wii came out, not stateside till April 27th. April 29th, Grand Theft Auto 4 came out, 
May 20th, Sonic Jump 2 came out for Apple um, mobile devices. June 12th, Metal Gear Solid 4 Sons of the Patriots released. June 19th, Mario Super Sluggers for the Wii came out, but not in the U.S. until August 25th. July 10th, three games released, well, two games in one event. Persona 4 and The Legendary Starfy both released. Starfy didn't uh, come to America until June 8th, 2009, and that game released for the DS. But the same day, Activision and Blizzard, who made the World of Warcraft games, merged into one company. Um, July 18th, Street Fighter 4 released, but it originally released in arcades, but it didn't come to consoles until February 12th. July 24th, Wario Land Shaker released for the Wii, but not in the U.S. until September 22nd. July 31st, Rhythm Heaven released. It's kind of a port of Rhythm 10 Goku for the Game Boy Advance for the DS. That didn't come stateside until April 5th of 09. August 6th, Braid released. It, Cave Story, and Minecraft were probably responsible for sort of making the indie genre what it was, like game developers by themselves making games. Um, August 7th, Breaking the Bank, the first Henry Stickman game, was released. And the same day, yeah, the same day <laughs> Tales of Vesperia released, which was a game in the Tales series, the other most famous probably being Tales of Symphonia. August 21st, Ratchet & Clank Future The Quest for Booty came out in um, for the PlayStation and 3. Uh, I mean, PlayStation 3. <laughs> PlayStation and 3, not the 2. <laughs> yeah, the, the Ratchet and Clank game titles are pretty funny. Then in September 13th, we have Pokemon Platinum, which didn't release in the U.S. until March 22nd of the next year. September 22nd, Mega Man 9 released, but only digitally on the Wii Shop and the Xbox 360 Arcade, or Xbox Live Arcade, I think. You know, I'm wondering, is the, because I haven't been on, on there for a while, but is the Wii Shop still open? It is not. They closed uh, it in 2019, 18 or 19, I think. Dang. So they left it open for a very long time. I think it was because the Wii U kind of had all the Wii's features yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you could access the Wii home menu from the Wii. It had all the UI built in, which is pretty cool. Um, September 25th, Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood released for the DS, but not in the US until five days later. October 13th, World of Goo came out for the Wii's online shop. And the same day, Dead Space released. So, World of Goo, I think, also came out on Apple mobile devices. October 14th... Wait, when did that come out? Um, October 13th. Oh, okay. On October 14th, Saints Row 2. October 16th, Wii Music came out. Not the U.S. until four days later. October 21st, Far Cry 2. October 27th, Little Big Planet. October 28th, Fallout 3. November 1st, the DSi. November 11th, Call of Duty World at War, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and Mirror's Edge all released that day. A lot of these games, I've noticed in recent years, tend to release more towards the end of the year, so they can be released in time for the Christmas rush. And, oh, smart, smart. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, birthdays still happen year-round, so people can get games that way as well as buying them by themselves. But the Christmas season is like the one time of year where everybody knows that people will be buying games. Facts. November 14th, Sonic Unleashed release. It's a game where Sonic turns into a werewolf. Pretty interesting. November 16th, Animal Crossing City Folk Freaky. released for the Wii. November 17th, Left 4 Dead released. It's a zombie game. Um, December 21st, Spelunky released. December 24th, WarioWare Snap released for the DSi's online shop. Not in the US until April 5th of the following year. That was a long episode and a long years in gaming, and that is where we are going to wrap up this episode so um nomadic where can people find you um you can find me on instagram at nomadic vagabond 
Um, you can also check out the uh, podcast at Brews Beards on Instagram. Uh, most of them are, you know, friendly to young ears, if you are not. Um, but just check it out for the explicit sign or not. Um, other than that, I can be found napping. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, or playing some video games with my son. Getting yeah. geeky with it. Yeah. Um, Yoshimitsu, you can find him on Scratch. And yeah, Yoshimitsu, you can find him on Lego Ideas as Spectre Vamp and also on Discord as Spectre Vamp. As for myself, you can find me on Scratch and Lego Ideas, both with the username Woodstock of Five. Although on Lego Ideas, I think my Lego account named it Enzin Honest Chisel as like a randomly generated username. I have a project that I'm trying to submit where it's a Night on Bald Mountain from Fantasia as a set. So please support that if um, it's up once it's out. Links to all these will be in the description. Um, check out our Geeks and Games Discord server. I um. I like to post things there occasionally, like announcements if you want to get caught up on all the news relating to the podcast. Stuff we mentioned there will also be in a channel on the server. And you can also ask us questions and leave additions to the years in gaming list. There are some games that we've forgotten over the years in gaming and we are going to redo them once we finish the years in gaming and we get all caught up till 2021. And you can also... What were we going to say? Well, I was going to say, um, what's your favorite game? Ooh, um, probably Super Mario Galaxy 2. One that I think is the mo- a very replayable game that I've been having a lot of fun with recently is Mario 64, because I've been watching a lot of speedruns and I've been trying to get a relatively good time on that. I think my most recent good time was like 3 hours, 15 minutes, and I'm going to try to do better. So what's your favorite console then? Okay, my that you've played on. My favorite console that I've played on is going to be the Xbox 360. Word, Um, also, uh, Geeks and Games now has a YouTube channel. We're not making videos, but we are making playlists of the videos we mention on this show. So if you, if you're interested, you can subscribe there and check out the videos that we leave in our playlist, which I'll make public so y'all can watch them. They're separated into two categories as of now. Um. Fine for Kids and 13 Plus. And also, if you want, you can write us an email, geeksandgamespodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That and would subscribe. Yes, and subscribe. But anyway, thank you for and five stars. <laughs> yes, only five stars. We've, we only have um, two ratings, one's five star, one's four star, and only one review, so it would really help us out if you do that and we get launched into the zeitgeist. Do it. Yes. That's a quote from Starsky and Hutch, if you didn't get that, the movie, not the show. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for this longer-than-usual episode of Geeks and Games, and we will see you all in the next one, except for Nomadic, who will probably not be. It'll be me and Yoshimitsu, most likely. But thank you so much. Bye. Peace.